Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that features two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you Fedra Patrick and Claire Pooley. Fedra is the author of six novels, including her incredibly successful debut, The Curious Charms of Arthur Pepper, and her latest novel, released just this month, The Little Italian Hotel. Claire's debut novel, The Authenticity Project, was a New York Times bestseller. Her second novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting, was published in 2022. Join Fedra and Claire, friends and fellow Brits, as they discuss becoming their characters and when exactly the magic happens in the writing process. Inspiration starts now. Hi, Claire. Hi, Fedra. It's so good to see you again. And you too, because I think... We last saw each other about a year ago. God, I can't, I can't remember yeah. time flies. Actually, I have to say, since COVID, I've I found time time frames really difficult. You know, it's some things. Yeah, like, me too. Just a few months ago, were like two years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I was down in London last June, and we met for a coffee and just had the little walk around the nice cemetery. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah and it was, uh, I took you around the cemetery that features in my uh, my first novel, The Authenticity Project. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, yeah no, it was beautiful. At, um, at uh, Emmeline Pankhurst's grave and uh, yeah, it was, it was a lovely day and it was so good to meet you because I don't know about you, but I often find, you know, writing is quite lonely. You know, it's you by yourself with a laptop and you know, it's really great to meet other authors and just exchange notes because it's such a strange job in many ways. Yeah, and um, I don't know about you, but a lot of my friends, they all write about killing people and uh, psychological stuff and really dark books. And so uh, when I met you, it was kind of just so lovely to meet a fellow writer who wrote actually about nice positive things for a change (laughs) I I felt exactly the same I mean people people describe I guess they describe the sort of books we write as as feel-good fiction or or yeah um and you know I I don't understand how people can write really dark sort of you know psychological thrillers or or murders and things like that because you have to live with these characters in your head for you know, years often, and the idea of carrying around a serial killer with me every day, I think I would find it really <laughs> disturbing. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, and do you, uh, when you write, do you actually act out the scenes? Do you kind of pretend to be your characters and, like, move in the how they would move and feel their emotions? Because I would think that would be very difficult if you're writing dark fiction. Yes, it, it would be. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I sort of... When I'm when I'm in the middle of writing a book, I I carry the characters round with me in my head all the time. Mm. And, you know, I do things like you know, if I go to a restaurant, I think, well, what would Monica order off this menu, or what would mm-hmm. I sort of uh, think about this political situation, or whatever it might be. And uh, you know, and I I wouldn't like to do that with people I didn't like very much. <laughs> what about you? Yeah. Do you work like that too? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm the same. I think when I write, um, first of all, I kind of picture things like a film in my head mm. and then write what I see. And it's almost like I've got like my own personal little doll's house, moving characters around and then writing what they do and where they move to. 
Mm. And then when I kind of draft it again and or edit it again, I actually pretend to be those people, you know, and how would they speak and how would they react and what would their emotions be and what mm. would that do to their body and their face and that kind of thing. So I kind of go through different stages with the with the writing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm the same as you. It, it can be like um, a friend recently um, met a new guy and his, uh, his name's Mitchell. And I was like, oh, that's the character in my my book um four and i wonder what that character's up to it's like they're almost real people yeah and when you write the story yeah they're kind of still out there doing things without you yeah yeah absolutely and you know it's funny you're talking about the the sort of doll's house the sort of playhouse because i was explaining to somebody the other day that i feel with writing sometimes that it's like it's a bit like you're putting on a theatre production and you, you take your stage and you put all your props on it and you get your characters and you put them in costume and you stick them on the stage and then you sort of tell them what to say and what to do and you write it all down. And initially it feels really hard and really wooden because you're constantly having to feed them mm-hmm. these lines. And then if you're lucky, this at some point this sort of magic happens. And for me, it's, it's often several months into the writing process where they suddenly start improvising. And instead of you feeding them lines, they're doing their own thing and you're just writing down what they're saying. And that for me is is the real magic of writing. That's where sort of extraordinary things happen is is when, you know, you're just you're just noting down what your characters are telling you. Yeah, because I feel quite jealous about these writers that just say, oh, yes, a character came to me and they started just telling me what to do and what to write. Because I'm not like that. When I start writing, it's it's quite flat and quite basic. And it is a few months until the characters actually kick in mm. and become real people. And like you said, that's when the magic happens, when they start, you know, finding their own voice and speaking and telling you what, telling you what story they want you to tell about their lives yes uh, but that does take quite a few months so, so I think it has to because it can't happen until you know them well enough until they're sort yeah. of you know fully fledged people I guess and you know in, until that point you just I, I don't I don't think it's possible for them to do their own thing because they're too two-dimensional initially um, and it's sort of writing is a bit it's a bit like a leap of faith because Every time you start a new book, you don't know whether that you're ever going to get to that point. <laughs> you know, and the book I'm just editing at the moment, uh, I, you know, I honestly, three or four months in, I, I've called my agent and I said, I said, Haley, um, is it too late for me to give back the advance? <laughs> because, because this book just isn't going to work, and I'm never going to be able to write another book again, and it's just not happening. Um, and uh, and she calmed me. She sort of talked me down off the off the ledge, you know, and said uh, said. And uh, we fixed a sort of you know a, a call with my editor in the US and the UK, and I sort of you know bounced some ideas off them, and suddenly it all started coming together. But um, but you know there were there was about a month when I honestly thought I was never going to publish another book ever again. <laughs> I'm the same and it's almost like um, kind of on a roller coaster and sometimes you know when you go to the top of the roller coaster and there's that awful moment where you just think I can't get off it and I've got to bear it and I know I'm going to dip down and I think for me it comes when I've written like um, a half a page pitch, the idea, it's all been signed off, you've got that euphoric of going up the hill and thinking oh brilliant it's all been signed off I can write this now and then you get to the top of that top of that steep slope 
and you think, I've got to write 85,000 words on this idea. You know, how, is, how am I going to do it? You know, I've just got this page signed off, this pitch. But now I've got to write the thing and can I even do it? You yeah. know, and it's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it doesn't get uh, easier. And, you know, I was, I was having this conversation with um, Katie Ford, who has written... God, I know about 30, mm. 30 novels in her career and um, yeah. millions and millions of books. And I said to her, you know, does it get any easier? And she said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, thank you. <laughs> in some ways it gets harder because of, when, you write, when you're writing your debut novel, you have no idea what's ahead of you. And you're not writing for um, a particular person you're not sort of you're not under contract you just sort of you don't know whether it's going to go anywhere you just write for yourself and you know by the time mm. you get to sort of you know book three book four you know you know you know how much is involved you know how tough it is and you know it's in a way it, it makes it harder it I think it really uh, yeah it really doesn't get any any easier but you know, having said that, we can't really complain because it is the best job in the, in the world in so many ways. Yeah, and, and how old was you when you knew that you wanted to be an author? Oh, you know what? If you'd asked me when I was a teenager what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have told you I wanted to be an author. So, you know, for as long as I remember, it was my dream. But, you know, I didn't actually start writing fiction until I was... Uh, nearly 50 years old yeah my first novel was published when I was 50 so uh, so it took me to me I, I spent years and years working in advertising and doing all sorts of you know having children doing all sorts of uh, other things and uh, um, yeah and it's my sort of it's my second career really and I absolutely love it how, how about you did you always know you wanted to be a writer um, really similar yeah uh, when I was about eight I just remember going to the library and getting books out of the library, but thinking, actually, I'd really like to write one. And, and how do you write a book and get it on the shelves for the library? So I was fascinated by that. But um, where I live, so I think my town is, has got the accolade of being the second most deprived town in the UK. So <laughs> it's just like this really deprived town and, and nobody became authors you know you either if you were lucky you got a job in a bank and and um if you were less academic it was the cake factory and uh, so I just thought people like me just didn't write books so I didn't do it for a long time I worked in marketing so I think my background is probably a bit similar with you you went mm -hmm. into advertising I was in marketing and my first book came out yeah I think I was 45 when my first one came out so um yeah second week something I always wanted to do but just didn't have the confidence or think that I could ever do it so yeah, it took a long time and and you know what I don't think I could have written the sort of books that I write now 10 or 20 years ago um because mm. um I sort of I I I just wouldn't have had the life experience or the sort of hard-earned wisdom I don't think to, to write those <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might able to write a very different sort of book but I don't think I could write the sort of books that that I do now you know it's I've lived through you know addiction cancer I you know I've lost you know really close friends um uh, you know I've, I've had three kids you know all of those things when all of the experiences you go through become become sort of inspiration for various characters, various sort of various um, plot points. And um, yeah, I, I don't know how, 
I don't know how I could have done it when I was 20 or even 30 or even 40, maybe. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange, isn't it? It's, um, it's like a little pick and mix that you can just pick little life experiences out of your own life or people you know and put them in the book. And I just find that sometimes when you're writing, they just kind of come through on an involuntary basis. You don't know where they came from, but suddenly you remember something you did when you were 16 or yeah. something uh, that somebody said 10 years ago or somebody you randomly met on holiday and you know they kind of just all weave the way into your into your writing um mm. so yeah the older you get then the more experience you've got to tap into yes i think so oh so I what, what, I, i'm looking at your gorgeous new book because you very kindly sent me a copy the little, little oh did it arrive good i'm glad it arrived um, it's absolutely beautiful i haven't had a chance to read it yet because i've been away i've just got home but um, uh, but it's gorgeous. Can you tell? Can you tell me a bit about it? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's about Ginny Splinter. She's a radio relationship expert. Uh, she thinks she's got kind of the answer to everyone's problems, um, and she thinks she's kind of got an idyllic marriage and home life. Um, it's about to be her twenty fifth wedding anniversary, and her husband unexpectedly asks for a divorce. Yeah. So uh, she's beside herself with heartache and she goes live on air and instead of taking her husband on this gorgeous holiday she's planned to Italy for her anniversary, she invites four heartbroken strangers to join her instead. Oh, um, so Ginny and these four strangers take off to Italy and uh, trying to sell their heartache in this faded yet wonderful hotel in Bologna. And uh, they each come up with a, a little plan of what they think might help their heartbreak. So we've got an 80-year-old widow who, who wants to do some uh, making a quilt, a heartbreak quilt. And we've got a young guy um, who's been bereaved and wants to take them all hiking in the hills of Italy. Uh, we've got uh, someone who wants to go on a romantic gondola ride. And then we've got um, a lady who's um, having issues with her mum because her mum's got dementia and she's into alternative therapies. And so they all try and uh, gong therapy for a bit of sound healing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just this really random, eclectic mix of strangers coming together and um, seeing if they can help each other and, and heal their heartache. Um, and it's out on the 6th of June in, in America, 20th of July in England. And I just really, really loved writing this one. It was my sixth book. Sometimes um, your writing just flows and sometimes it doesn't. But with this book, I just really, really enjoyed it. And I personally love this one. So I'm really excited about it coming out. Has it got the same title in the UK as in the US? It, it has. Yeah, it has. Really? And that's one thing I was going to ask you about, Claire, because I know your uh, second book, your one that's out now, The People on Platform, five in in america it's called is it iona iverson's rules for commuting that's right yeah is that right yeah you know what? Yeah, yeah so you've got these two different titles yeah and, and it, it does it it is horribly confusing because um because social media is obviously global and um so you know yeah. I, I get some people who you know who will say um say to me that uh you know oh i see you've got you know they've already read iona iverson's rules of commuting and they'll say i see you've got a new book out and it's like no 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 it's not a new book it's the same book you've already it's read the same it's one. Yeah. um and it's, it's something actually that really surprised me about the um about this whole publishing process because i didn't realize 
that you know the it's really the publisher that chooses the title and the cover of your book not the author you know my job mm. is to write the story and it's their job to market it and part of the marketing is the title and the cover so you know so my books you know so the authenticity project was published in 30 different languages and the the titles uh, the the different countries have chosen are often completely different so um you know in in germany it's called mondays at monica's um and which, yeah. which i thought sounded a bit like soft porn actually <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway um, uh, and uh, and it's called oh the french call it the amazing journey of the little book of secrets you know so which is a very french i think um and it's yeah it's got all sorts of different titles um but uh yeah the exciting thing is the book that i'm just editing at the moment which comes out next year is going to have the same title in the uk and the us so so that's a great oh one. yeah i love it when that happens mm. yeah because my last one was the messy lives of book people in america and the book share in England so it kind of makes complete sense to me but yeah when people when you're promoting one of the books on social media and you're having to explain the different titles or you'll get someone who contacts you and say I've bought your book twice you know and you're like saying oh I'm really sorry about that but there's there's nothing we can do apart from you know um try and be as transparent as possible but that's if you're like writing kind of you know just 50 word tweets it's really difficult to get that message across that your book's got yeah, two different right. titles or even more different titles yeah, especially their long titles I, I always have to say brackets if you live in the usa it's called iona iverson's <laughs> muting close brackets yeah. <laughs> which is which is a lot of your word count um so uh, so yeah so so my next book is called um uh, how to age disgracefully and um i love that title i love that yeah, title. i'm really excited <laughs> about it actually and um yeah for the first time it's uh, not only as everybody agreed on the same title but every uh, there you know we've all agreed it well in advance so uh, so it's already sort of available for pre-order in the uk um with that title oh brilliant which is great so now i just have to finish editing it <laughs> and with your titles do you come up with ideas for titles that they might shortlist or pick one from or do you just say here's the manuscript and you come up with the title for it oh, no 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 i always come up with ideas myself um but um sometimes you know on uh, with uh Iona Iverson, I came up with about 50 different titles. <laughs> and in the end, the, uh, the, it was the publisher's title, Iona Iverson's Rules Commuting, which I really like, actually, but it wasn't when I wrote. I yeah. called it uh, The Wisdom of Carriage H. And uh, my American editor oh, yeah. said, oh, we don't have carriages in the US. We have cars. So, um, <laughs> so it didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, I usually come up with about 15 titles, uh, which I just, you know, send that way. And then they usually go, nope, <laughs> you know, and then come up with their own. So, uh, yeah, I don't think, oh, yeah, except my, my debut, The Curious Charms of Arthur Pepper. It was always going to be called that. I only ever have one title for it. I just put forward that one title and that's what it was called in, in England and America. And I think the same with you. Uh, that one went to 26 countries, but... Um, there were some random titles came out. Um, mm. I think in Italy it was the man who followed his desires, or Ooh. and then in Germany it was the man who, the man who hid from his 
the man who lost his wife and finally found his heart or just all sorts of random translations and and it's really fun isn't it when you get those books through the um the translated books and just the the different covers that they choose for it mm. that suits the different markets and the different titles it's really exciting yeah i, I think you can tell a lot about the sort of you know a, a country by the sort of cover they come up with for your book you know? yeah definitely yeah yeah I have to tell you something really funny I'm just I'm sitting opposite uh I'm, I'm just sitting by a window onto my garden and and I'm sitting here chatting to you on my laptop and my son just walked past and stuck a little post-it on the window saying I love you <laughs> isn't that sweet oh oh that's yeah. lovely um I banished my son and dog to the house and told them not to come out for an hour because um, my garden's just outside where I'm talking now and the dog just barks. She just yeah, barks, barks, I barks. Have two so, dogs. Yeah, she's, yeah, so she's been locked in the house for a little bit. I feel a bit mean because it's a sunny day, but no, she's got to stay in there. So are you, where, where are you at the moment? Are you in a, do you have a writing room? Are you in a sort of, do you, do you have a little... Yeah, I've got a shed, just a little shed. So it's a normal garden shed. Just insulated it a little bit. It's, it's basically a six foot square. It's really tiny. Um, and then in in summer, I will sit out here with the door open. It's really nice um, in the garden. And just at the bottom of my, gar my garden, it's the Huddersfield Canal. So you get like canal boats sailing oh, past. Amazing. It's really scenic. Yeah. And then um, in winter, I just move back in the house where it's warm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so where, where, where are you, Claire? I can see all your books on your shelves yeah, behind you. Know, you. This is really, this is really weird because um, I live in in Fulham, um, which is where the Authenticity Project is set. So, so that's my hood. Um, so it's sort of southwest London. And so I only have a tiny garden. It's not big enough for a shed. Um, and so when I started writing, I wrote from the kitchen table. And um, and the kitchen is where, every, you know, I've got three kids, two dogs, one husband, and everybody hangs out in the kitchen at various times of day. So, mm -hmm. Um, so it's quite difficult to write in the kitchen. So I would get up at five o'clock in the morning when everything was really quiet and try and sort of carve out some time for myself. And then mm -hmm. during COVID, when I was writing Iona Iverson, um, I had three kids homeschooling. My husband was working from home, um, you know, two dogs still. And, um, and there was just, you know, it was impossible to try and get any work done. And everyone always mm. fed all the time. You know, I, I was, felt like I was running a bloody hotel. Sorry, excuse my language. I felt like I was running a hotel. Um, and uh, and so I thought oh, I really could do with having my own space and a little writing room. And we had this room in, in the house that was hardly ever used. Um, it sort of it was supposed to be a sort of a little sitting room, but it was sort of damp and dark and 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 messy. And so so I thought I'm going to treat myself to a proper writing room and I paid um to you know people some uh, builders to to renovate this room into a really lovely writing room and I've got all these shelves and my books on I've got a lovely desk and it's really beautiful and it opens out onto the garden and I still write at the kitchen table. <laughs> so. Isn't it funny? Yeah, yeah. I, I found um, my son's been doing exams so I've been like just driving into town dropping him off and then I've been writing in the library or the pub um, yeah. or a coffee shop waiting for him to finish his exams. And I get so much more writing done outside of the house um, than I do inside the house because I just find even in the shed, doorbells going, um, you know, window cleaner might come, dogs barking. 
unloading my washing machine, you know, that kind of thing. It's just constant distractions. So mm. for me, getting out of the house and just uh, locking myself away in the library for two or three hours, I get so much more work done there. Yeah, and do you, ever do you find that as well? Do you have to take yourself out? Yeah, because I, because I try, if, I, if I've got a really looming deadline or I'm just starting a new project and I need to really concentrate hard, I go away somewhere and... Um, uh, you know, I, I will go away for a week by myself and just sort of and do not, you know, I, I, I won't get out of my pyjamas for a whole week. I buy food en route so I don't have to go shopping and I would just sit and write um, or think about writing or read or do research or whatever for for nonstop for a week. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I really need sometimes to just get away and, and do that somewhere different. Uh, because you know you're right. It's it's the easiest thing to procrastinate. Procrastinate is the word I was looking for. The easiest thing to do at home is to procrastinate. Yeah, and and I find sometimes my best times for writing isn't really conducive with home life. So I would prefer to write at like six in the morning and then. Um, probably through to lunch afternoon I'm kind of spent my brain's mm-hmm. gone dead um, and then I would probably be writing till midnight one or two in the morning if I could do but because you're in family life and trying to you know work to that timetable um, it doesn't always work so I love actually sometimes just I go to a hotel in Liverpool for two or three days um, or I recently went to Tenerife with my parents my, my mum and dad are like in the late 70s we were going to Tenerife and I said can I come with you so I went to Tenerife for a week and so I had breakfast with them we went out for the morning and then all afternoon I wrote and then I'd have tea uh, dinner with them and then I'd be writing till one in the morning two in the morning you know I could just go to bed when I wanted I could wander around the hotel room I could go across to the supermarket for a lot of chocolate and and rum and uh yeah I had a great time and, and lots of writing got done oh that's brilliant and listen, one thing I'm always intrigued about with other people's writing is how much do you plan in advance? I mean, do you know when you start a book exactly what's going to happen? Are, are you a plotter or are you a pantser? And uh, actually, I, I only came across the expression pantser when I started writing myself, <laughs> flying by the seat of your pants. So, you know, making it up as you go along, in other words. Yeah, I'm a bit of a plotter. So I'm kind of one of these really sad people that will watch a film and note what happens in that film and what minute ha- what minute that happens, you know, what happens halfway through the film, what happens three quarters of the way through. And I've kind of got like a little book full of these, just these little analysis I've done on films, just kind of how you break down plots and stuff. And I read a lot about um, how to plot. So I'm a bit of a plotter. So when I, when I uh, start writing a book, I just have a little think about, okay, what might happen halfway through? What might happen at 75%? What happens at 20%, you know, that catalyst where your character kind of, you know, basically steps into a different world? Um, So, yeah, just these little key points. So I maybe look at uh, percentages, you know, like 10%, 20%, 30%, and just roughly just write a few postcards um, just so I have got some idea. And then I will write probably the first 20%, the first seven or eight chapters um, in chronological order. And then I will start just then writing chapters that I want to write that I know might happen Mm. and then try and weave it all together. So 
it probably sounds a bit complicated. I think I'm really jealous of these authors who can just write it, you know, and, and just go through the whole thing. But for me, yeah, it's kind of um, piecing it all together. God, what, what about so you? How do you do it? I'm really jealous of you being able to do that because I, I, I really <laughs> feel like I really feel like I should plot my novels before I start writing them. I think it would make my life a lot easier if I knew where a book was right. going. But I just can't do it until I really know the characters. I don't know what they're going to do. So, so I sort of, I, I know I, I start when I start off. I know what the beginning and the middle and the end is roughly, and I know roughly yeah. my characters are and I know roughly what what issues they might be dealing with um but mm. then I just have to start writing and see what happens and and it's really funny when with the authenticity project there's this sort of twist towards the end and um yeah. and without giving away any spoilers nobody that I've talked to so far has seen that twist happening. And I think the reason nobody sees it happening is because I didn't know it was going to happen when I was writing it. Yeah, I, did, I didn't see it coming. Oh, so, good. Yeah, good. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I, know, I was writing away and, and I got to that point in the book right towards the end. And I thought, oh, my God, this character's been lying to me all the way through. And I was really angry with them, you know. Yeah. And, and it sort of it was a, as much of a shock to me as it was to any of the readers, and you know that sort of thing wouldn't happen if you stuck really rigidly to a sort of you know to a a plotted out um, story. So so I I kind of I kind of like the the magical things that can happen when you don't plot, but it's also it's also quite scary. It's a bit like going back to your roller coaster analogy. It's a bit like sort of you know getting on a roller coaster without a seatbelt on <laughs> yeah yeah and, and I'm kind of um I don't kind of plot in great detail it is just literally it might be a postcard you know with a bit of scribble on it mm. stuck on my window uh, so with the little Italian hotel I kind of knew that uh, Ginny was going to you know have this issue with her husband and she was going to go to Italy and invite these four strangers I wasn't sure how that was going to happen, how she was going to invite the strangers, how they were going to make the journey there, mm. which four strangers she was going to take with her, you know, and what their issues were going to be. So I've kind of got that rough idea, that rough plot, um, but then it is kind of working it out as you go along. It's yeah, kind of a bit, yeah. of, bit of both worlds, yeah, but I kind of do like a, a little bit of structure. I kind of always say it's a bit like having coat hangers in my wardrobe, and if I don't have them coat hangers, that little bit of structure on my clothes are in the bottom of the wardrobe in a big heap, you know. So I just like to be a bit of organised. Just get my my coat hangers in the wardrobe to, um, you know, hang my words on and then um, I'll kind of hang the plot on. Uh, and then I've got some idea. I don't feel like in, in as much of a, a mess, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm kind of quite an organised person. Yeah. 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 It's closer to me then than, than, than I thought. But listen, in your whole writing career, what what was your sort of what was what was the most exciting moment for you? Was it was it when you first got your call from your agent saying you had a publishing deal, or or what was, you know, what what was what was the moment that your standout moment so far? Oh, it's so tricky, isn't it? I kind of have a a few. So yeah, there's there's that big one, isn't it, where you get an agent. 
and it's like wow I've got an agent and, and the agent phones and says yes you've got this publishing deal but I, I think I kind of had a defining moment where I went to America for the Curious Charles of Arthur Pepper had just came out and I did a, a, a tour of a few bookshops in America and I remember I was lucky enough to go to Miami and I had a, a free morning and I went to Miami Beach and I just stood um, in the sea and it was like 80 odd degrees and at the time um, I'd lost a close friend of mine she died in her early 40s and my cousin had um, terminal cancer and I just remember standing there in the sea thinking how easily it would have been for me and my cousin to have been in different situations you know mm -hmm. that I was in my cousin's situation and she was in that situation in my situation and I just felt I've worked so hard to write this book and be where I am and I've just got to try and enjoy every single moment of it yeah, yeah. oh yeah oh, because because I'm not yeah I wasn't you know she was unlucky and I was lucky and I just thought yeah I've just worked so hard I've, I've had about seven or eight books rejected and um, I just need to really really enjoy it so for me it was just that defining moment it wasn't like mm -hmm. an announcement or a deal I think it just I just remember that moment just standing there just taking that few minutes to myself and just having a little think yeah yeah oh what an amazing memory yeah what about you Claire did you oh I, do I, any stick in your mind no there are again there are there are a number but I, I think probably my favorite moment was when the authenticity project just come out in paperback um in the us and it was a barnes and noble book of the month as as your yeah, book was um and and it was amazing because i kept seeing on social media all these pictures from the us and it was you know it was still during lockdown so there was no way i could go out to 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 see the book in you know in the bookshop shops which was really sad but I kept seeing these pictures of these big piles of of uh, of paperbacks on Barnes and Noble's tables and it was really exciting um and then uh, and then I got this it was sort of I was in Scotland with my family because it was just uh, it was just after New Year and I got this phone call at about 10 30 in, in, in the evening and I thought God, who on earth is calling me this late? That's really sort yeah. of, you know, really antisocial. <laughs> and and I looked at the number. I thought this is a, this is not a UK number. Um, and I thought oh, it's probably a wrong number. Um, and I answered the phone, and it was my editor in New York, um, Pamela Dorman, who is amazing. Um, and she said, "Hello, am I talking to the New York Times bestseller Claire Pooley?" And I went, "Oh, oh wow." Well, yeah. <laughs> And that was, yeah that was just one of those mind-blowing moments I just never thought would happen and you know the incredible thing about you know making something like the New York Times bestseller list is that nobody can ever take that away from you you know it's, it's one that you know no I, you are always going to be Claire Times best-selling author you know and and that is just yeah. Of yeah, it's still such a joy. I still, I, I still can't quite believe it. It's, it's really funny, actually. I was telling somebody um, that uh, that when when I was dreaming about being an author, um, you know, you know, you sort of imagine what it might be like. And I thought I would really love one day to be able to say to somebody, "Oh, I'm just off to have lunch with my agent and my editor." <laughs> 
yeah yeah whenever I do have lunch with my agent and my editor I remember that (laughs) and it's still a thrill being able to say I'm just off to have lunch with my agent and my editor (laughs) yeah and I find that sometimes um like you said it's a solitary career and sometimes I think especially during winter you know the weather's a bit miserable and it's dark uh, sometimes you know um you can your mood can dip quite a bit with this job and um you know, it's very up and down. And uh, I think a couple of months ago, I was in a really, got in a really low place, which isn't like me at all. And I remember walking the dog and um, I got absolutely drenched. I was so wet through. And I looked at my phone, I just picked up my emails and I've just got this email from my agency saying they'd just sold the film and TV rights for the little Italian hotel. Oh, amazing. And I was just like, and I'm, yeah, my mood just went from zero to like a hundred in like within a few set, you know, a few seconds. I like rushed home and they said, can you take the call? So I said, yeah, we'll take the call and, and just, you know, so just exciting things. Yeah, um, exciting. It is like such a really nice isn't it? You know, you one minute you can be on cloud nine and the next minute, mm. you know, somebody will tag you on a, on a really sort of, terrible review on instagram and yes you think you know you think it's you're in the pits of despair so you know it's it's uh yeah it's 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 a real it's certainly a a roller coaster always um and i think that that's one of the things i find most difficult i think is you know i mean it's funny i was looking at goodreads the other day and across my my, um, three books i've got you know, nearly 100,000 reviews on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. And um, so, of course, not all of them are going to be great. <laughs> and it's amazing how you can just ignore all the glowing five-star reviews and then go into complete yeah. despair when you get a one-star review. And it's sort of, it's funny, being an author, you sort of have to be very thin-skinned because you have to be able to, you know, really get under the skin of people's um, emotions and, and um, you know, you need to feel things very deeply. Um, but at the same time, you have to be incredibly thick skinned because you have to just, you know, plow on regardless and, and try not to let, you know, anybody, anybody's negative opinions affect your confidence. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I think that's probably one of the hardest things. Yeah, me too. Um, I kind of see myself as quite a quiet, gentle person, but you kind of almost need like a backbone of steel, mm. you know, to keep going through the rejections, through the writing and to kind of deal with the the rude people, you know. And uh, of course, anyone can, can read a book and not enjoy it. And that's fine. But I just find some of the, the bad reviews are quite hurtful or rude. Mm. Um, and I just think if that person was stood in front of me, they wouldn't dare say anything or they wouldn't do that and it is that kind of you know they've got the safety of the keyboard behind the computer screen and think they can say what they want but I always think that if 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 anyone's work was put in public you know a lot of people would be devastated if if they got those kind of things said about it you know Mm. um yeah and I guess so yeah it is it wouldn't have happened because you might have a you know, if you were lucky, you might have a review or two in the in the national press or in magazines or something. But, you know, you didn't have that, you know, before social media, you didn't have these constant, you know, reviews all the time. And actually, I should say, I am hugely grateful to anyone who can, you know, who reads any of my books and takes the time to review them. And I really do appreciate it. 
um you know it's just that the occasional one can send you into a no that's true i mean yeah it's we are we are so grateful for anyone who looks up our books, reads our books, writes the reviews. Um, oh, I've got some absolutely amazing readers. And if anyone ever sends me a message, I try to reply to every single I message, yeah, I uh, which is quite a lengthy, lengthy job sometimes. But I think if people have taken that time to reach out, the least I can do is say thank you, you know. Um, and But I just think it's, it's kind of a culture, isn't it? I've just found recently, whatever you buy, whether you have a meal, whether you buy a dress, whether you buy something online, they all say, what's your feedback? What's your feedback? What's your feedback? It's, mm. it's like a culture, isn't it? That you've got to feedback on, on everything you do, everything you eat, everything you wear. Um, and it's, it's like, yeah, kind of missed the, the good old days, really. And what would what would you what would advice would you give somebody who was sort of you know who was just starting out now on a career as a as a novelist? I mean, what would you what wanting would you to write? Yeah. yeah, I think I'd say I got asked so many I got asked this so many times when I did kind of library talks and author visits. So on my website, um, I did an A to Z on um, how to write. So I kind of, if anyone asks for advice, I can say, oh, just go on my website. Um, everything I've learned over the year, I've, I've done like this A to Z of writing tips and advice. But I think my main advice would be to, I think you've got to be a little bit selfish and find that time for yourself because nobody's mm -hmm. going to wave a magic wand and say, hey, I'm going to give you some time to write, you know, what you want. I'm going to do all the housework for you so you can <laughs> write. Nobody's going to do that. You've kind of got to be a little bit selfish and find that time for yourself and then um I think the thing that I did when I was writing was whenever I could find a minute when I was waiting for the bath to run if I was in a queue I'd just write things on on like the back of an envelope or mm. notepads um just whenever I could find that time and then when I did actually have more time I had all this material that I could start typing up I wasn't staring at a blank computer screen oh, and had all this stuff idea. that I'd jotted down yeah so I'd do that I think I'd do that anyone who wants to write just start small write down any ideas you've got any little thoughts you've got just jot it down and get it into a nice little pile mm. yeah that's a really good advice I mean I I think I the thing that I think is really important and often people get get derailed by is if you worry too much when you're writing your initial draft of a book about whether it's mm -hmm. good or not and whether it's good enough, you'll never get to the end. You know, you'll always end up sort of losing faith partway through and throwing it away and starting again. And so, and the truth is that first drafts are always awful. <laughs> and, and what you have to do is get to the end of that first draft and then you can go back mm -hmm. and see what you've got and make it better and add you know, depth and colour and dialogue and interest and all of those things. Um, so I think, you know, one of my main pieces of advice would be just try and get that first draft down. Think about it like, you know, if you were if you were doing um, painting a port, uh, a landscape, you know, you'd start by doing this rough sketch of, of where you, you know, where yeah. it fits on the canvas and you'd make sure the perspective is right and you'd have a look, you know, you put it, do the sketch and then you see what you've got in front of you and then you go and layer on the 
color and the shade and the light and the the depth and you know all of that sort of thing um and and I think writing a novel is very much like that you've got to do that rough sketch first and you can't worry too much about whether it's right or wrong you just sort of get it down on paper and then mm. then you work with it um and I think if you see it like that it's less frightening um and you can sort of you know it doesn't you don't end up sort of stopping 10,000 words in in a fit of despair. <laughs> um, yeah. But... Sorry, carry on. And I would say, right, if, if, you, if, you, if you find you've not got confidence, if you don't feel confident, um, you can always find determination. So you might not be confident doing it, but just you can be determined to do it. Mm, and it's just tapping into that determination to have yeah, a go. Just keep going until you get there. Um, and you know, I, yeah. I, I think it's also helpful. It's a bit like your advice about, you know, just writing down bits and pieces wherever you are. You know, I mean, I started by writing about my own life because my writing journey started uh, actually about eight years ago when I quit drinking. So I, I was horribly addicted to alcohol. I quit drinking, and as therapy, I started writing this blog, um, which I called "Mummy Was a Secret Drinker." And every day I wrote in this blog about what was going on in my life, how I was feeling, how I was coping with everything. And um, and I think getting into that routine of just writing every day and sort of analysing what was going on in my own life and my own head then allowed me to do the same when it came to my fictional characters. And it sort of helped me to find my voice. You know, publishers always talk about, oh, we want somebody with a unique voice. And I think it... If you're looking to find your own unique voice, writing about your own life as a starting point is quite a good way of getting there. So, you know, I think possibly even before you start writing fiction, it's worth writing nonfiction, you know, write about you, your life, how you think, what's important to you, what makes you angry, what makes you happy. All of those things mm. is all great, not just material for, for future novels, but it's a great way of finding your voice. Yeah, and I kind of tend to look at um, objects, so physical things, so kind of um, both kind of emotional experiences, but also what, what interests me. So like my, my debut was about um, an old man who discovers a charm bracelet because I was really interested in charm bracelets and the stories behind the charms. And so I think all my books, and I'm writing number seven now, they've all got an element of me in them and just something I'm interested in. Mm, so with my second one, Rise and Shine, Benedict Stone, that was gemstones. And I was really interested in, mm. in um, the meaning behind gemstones. And each chapter um, starts with a gemstone. And the one I'm writing now is um, number seven. So it's not got a title yet. But um, it's about a lady who's uh, she's about to marry for the second time in six weeks um, time. She's in love with her fiance, but she comes from a very superstitious family. And um, there's a family curse that says that all the women in the family are going to be unlucky in love. Yeah. And a family drag her off to see a fortune teller because I'm really, really interested in fortune tellers. Oh, I am too. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so I thought, right. OK, well. I think if you're really interested in something, then you can introduce it into your book. Mm. So you're automatically working on something that interests you. It's like almost a research process. So so this poor lady gets dragged off to the fortune teller who, who basically tells her that her fiancé isn't the one 
and the one um, she needs to find this man that she met while travelling 21 years ago during on a gap year from university. <laughs> so this poor lady's about to walk down the aisle and she has to go and find this mysterious man that she met 21 years ago to see if he holds the key to her happiness and, and what it is. Oh, uh, so I think... I'm dying to know what the answer is, but I'm not going to yeah, answer. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. But I think if you if you pick to write about something that really, really interests you, then you can't go wrong. So if you've got that personal element, that personal interest, then, then it's almost not like work. You know, you almost want to come and, come and do it. I write about things that, things that make me angry, which is funny given that I write feel-good fiction, but... You know, yeah. things like, you know, ageism and sexism and yeah. uh, coercive control and, you know, sort of thing, things that sort of things that I don't like about the world. And I want and through fiction, I try and fix some of them in is in as much as you can. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I think I think it's important to write about, you know, things that you know those those things that get stuck in your head and won't go away you know those are the things that that you need to write about yeah and I think rather than things I'm angry about I kind of tap into more uh, I think emotional things what make me emotional so mm. or things that people go through so like uh, bereavement and loss um you know it might be miscarriages relationships breaking down just that kind of emotional elements and and just kind of knowing people what they're going through and understanding it and I always feel like I'm holding my character's hands and and helping them you know to a better place Uh, and then they can live their lives without me so I think that's what I kind of tap into um just that real interest in 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 people yeah yeah and I, I I, I love playing with the difference between between the way people appear and you know what's really going on in their lives and which is mm-hmm. which is you know you can have a lot of fun with in fiction because you get you know each of your characters will see each other in a certain way and you the reader know that that's not necessarily true so you know there's a, I think there's a lot of, of fun to be had with appearances versus reality yeah so we're about to see you up to now Claire and I think I think we need to wrap up soon don't we but it'd be really interesting just to know where where exactly are you now what you're working on when well I know Iverson's rules for commuting is is about to come out in paperback in the USA uh so I think that comes out in the middle of August in paperback. Um, so that's very exciting. Um, and uh, for anyone who hasn't read that, it's uh, it's a um, it's a book about a group of people who meet on a train. They all they all share the same commute, and um, and uh, but they never speak to each other because people commuters don't you know. This first rule of commuting, and certainly in London, is that uh, is that you don't talk to strangers on the on public transport. And then you know, the, right at the beginning of the book, one of them chokes on a grape and nearly dies, and that is a catalyst for this uh, random group of strangers to to uh, to start interacting, and then amazing things start happening. So, so that's Iona Iverson's Rules of Commuting, which is out in uh, in paperback in August. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm just editing the next book, which is called. Um, how to age disgracefully and I'm just I, I've literally just started the structural edit so um, so I've got about I guess three months 
editing work to do mm. on, on that. Um, and that's out uh, in the UK in the spring 2024 and I think summer 2024 in the US. So, so yeah, so that's where I am. Yeah, so I've got The Little Italian Hotel coming out in a couple of weeks in America and in July in England. And then I think I'm on about 60,000 words of number seven. So, yeah, I'm kind of in that, that home straight. I always yeah, think once yeah, I've got yeah. half the book down, I'm feeling a bit better about it. I'm kind of over yeah. that mid-hump and uh, kind of running towards the end now. So I'm I'm hoping to like have my first draft done in in two or three months and then off it goes to the editors and hope they like it fingers crossed oh that's the scariest bit isn't it when you send off that first draft it, it is yeah <laughs> it is it is because you always kind of uh, invent this story in your head like you send it off and you think they're gonna hate it they're yeah. gonna tell me to yeah. rewrite it they want to go and it never happens but they always usually say oh we really like it and we've got some changes and that's fine and uh, but yeah, it is quite scary saying goodbye to it. Yeah, I have I have thrown a book away at that stage. Actually, I I threw away a whole. Oh book, really? Yeah. Um, which yeah, not because my editors told me to throw it away, but I think the it was obvious from the number of changes they wanted that they weren't really in love with it, and I wasn't really in love with it either. <laughs> and I thought actually, yeah. I think I'd rather just write something else altogether. And I threw it in the bin, and it was the best thing I did. Um, but uh, anyway, <laughs> but it's been so lovely talking to you, and I'm so you know. Oh, you too, Claire. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been great to catch up. Yeah, and, and I'm hopefully see you in person. I can't wait to read the little Italian hotel. It sounds such fun. It's um so thank you for oh thank me. you. Oh no, you're welcome. And you know I love your books, and um, yeah, I've enjoyed the Authenticity Project and Ion Riverson. Um, I think you're a brilliant writer, and I just love your characters. Oh, well, um, likewise. Yeah, so I can't wait to read your next one next year. No, well, um, uh, yeah, and let's let's meet up in real life too, and uh, and have another coffee. Yes, definitely. <laughs> when I'm in London, yeah, I will give you a shout. And if you're ever up near Manchester, up in the north of England, then get in touch. Oh, thank you. And until then, we will go back on our chats on Twitter. Uh, let's do that. And, and uh, um, yeah, I, I yeah. think if I'm, I can see bits of your little writing shed there. I, I'm so now I can picture you. When uh, you know yeah. when we when we speak, yeah. and I hope people have just enjoyed listening to our little chats, and I hope that um, if anyone does want to write, it's been useful for you. Hope you've picked up some little hints and tips, or I've just got to know us a little bit better. Yes, thank you, thank you, everybody. Um, <laughs> if you've got this far, <laughs> and uh, yeah, bye. Yeah. Yeah, and thank you to all those authors to, uh, for hosting us. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about our other episodes. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment.